Hi, I'm Walter Hallam, and you're listening today to the Walter Hallam Ministries podcast. Get ready to receive a powerful word from God today. God gives vision, and then He gives you two vision. Vision has more than uh, one description. It could be just for your family. It could be something that He's dropped in your heart. But a God-given vision, I believe, is something that affects people way outside of just you. If it's a God-given vision, I believe that it will have an impact. I love what Brother Hagin said one time. Uh, he said, it seems like when God gives vision... It takes about 3,000 people to make a vision. So I'm not really sure how that takes place uh, because God knows a lot more than all of us put together in here. How many of you can agree with that? But one thing's for sure, when God begins to give you vision, He begins to put something in your heart, uh, oftentimes it begins young. I remember when I was just a a young, very young man, uh, I was a teenager sitting in, in church one time in my father's church and I remember as he was speaking, I remember thinking if, if I were ever a pastor, and then I said to myself, I will never be a pastor. But I thought if I were a pastor, I, I, I would have schools of some kind. And I begin to think about it, and I'm sitting there, and believe me, I was not in love with going to school. But it was just something I was thinking about, and it began to uh, seed in my spirit. And then many years later, when uh, Cindy and I began to pastor, one of the first things we did was begun a kindergarten and a first grade. And uh, it just began to seed on the inside of me now. And for 35 years now, almost 35 years at Abundant Life, we've had schools, not just uh, church services, but we also have things that we believe affect families right at the very core. And then, of course, we'll, uh, as well as Bible schools uh, and, and other type of learning and experiencing uh, things that can help enhance and and increase a family that can be a blessing to a family and then can spread out into the community and into the region and into the world in the name of Jesus. I believe God dropped that in my spirit when I was a young man and because it was so foreign to me to think of something like that. I just want to say to you that God gives vision. And when God begins to give you vision you'll find out that that vision somehow will intersect with uh, the past, God's plan in the present, and God's plan in the future. I'll share some of that with you today. You and I do not know the yesterday and the tomorrow the same way that God knows it. We do not even know the today the way that God knows it. How many of you know you're part of a bigger plan than just you? You're much, uh, uh, you're, you're connected in the kingdom of God to a plan that God begun in the Garden of Eden, or that whenever God had his uh, uh, initial uh, inspiration to do what he did and create everything, you and I are still connected to that plan, and that plan is not just from yesterday, that plan is ongoing today, and thank God he's coming back one day, and that's part of the plan. How many of you glad that if Jesus is your Lord, you also have a place in heaven? That's part of his plan. Come on, look at somebody and say, pay a lot of attention today. There's a scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 3 that says that vision takes time, but it will surely come to pass. I'm thinking of these uh, young men and women that are graduating different uh, schools, uh, some college, some high school, some other things that, uh, that have just completed a particular course and Now they've been awarded uh, the diploma, that degree for that uh, venture in life. You know, there's a plan that's tied to the process and to that path that you're going through because God has a plan for your life. Uh, There is a vision that God begins to drop into the spirit of men and women. If you say, well, I'm not sure yet what it is I'm called to do, don't worry, just wait. In time, you're going to understand that. Uh, you can be sure along the way there will be many things that you're called to do. Uh, if you are uh, a, a woman, you can be sure that there's, uh, in all probability, God wants you to be a mother and wants you to be a wife as well as a Christian uh, as, because those are uh, high plans and purposes that God made beginning in the Garden of Eden. 
You might become a professional person also in the world. But one thing's for sure, whatever you put your hand to, you should do it in faith and do it in the name of Jesus. Uh, Understanding that there is more at work than just you. God has you tied to a plan. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, If you're a a man, if you're, uh, you can be sure that in the process of God bringing a spiritual revelation to you or a manifestation of the plan that he has for your life, there will be many things along the way that are in the plan. Uh, Once again, I believe that you will develop into a powerful man of God, a great Christian living the, the life of faith continually, and God will be directing you along that way. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And those paths that we get in oftentimes will change. It seems like it takes some detours sometimes. It can, it can uh, seem, seemingly be stalled. But in the name of Jesus, if you continue to serve God and to press forward, uh, just look out. You can be sure you're going to fulfill the vision, the plan that God has for your life. If you'll continue to press, do not become discouraged about serving the Lord and fulfilling that dream that's on the inside of you. Somebody shout amen. When I'm reading it in the scripture, uh, I notice there in Habakkuk that the, the Bible says that it takes time but it will surely come to pass. I believe you can see that in more than one way. Without a doubt, the plan of God for redemption uh, took time, but it surely has come to pass through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? It looked like it was going to be aborted along the way many different times. But thank God, God always had a plan to bring His vision to pass for His man, for mankind. By the same token, in our lives individually, God gives you a call and a plan. Without vision, the Bible says in Proverbs, without vision, people perish. One translation says without vision, uh, the word perish, it literally means to break rank. It means to run amok. Uh, it's, it, it carries the connotation of a, of, of a river that has banks along the side of it. And, and the water flows uh, all over. And as long as there are banks there, that water can flow and flow and flow. But anytime it runs out of banks, that just becomes a swamp. It begins to go like this and it begins to dissipate and it becomes like a swamp. And that's exactly what that word means when the scripture says, without vision, my people perish. It's very important for you and I to have that vision in our life, I also like to call it in a, in a minute sense of the word, I like to call it goals, that we have some goals in life that we have. And then inside of these goals that we are, uh, uh, that we are uh, processing forward to obtain, there is a vision that God has for our life. And many of the goals and the mile markers that you pass in your life will help bring to pass that vision. Some of those mile markers do not look too pleasant at the time, but do not lose your faith. Do not let go of your confidence, the Bible says. Trust God and keep pressing. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. The the, the one thing that the scripture never tells you about when it says there are times and seasons for all things, and it begins to name over a dozen of those times and seasons, and it begins to tell. Until Until you begin to realize all of those are things that, are, uh, that have process to them. But there's one thing that's not mentioned when it talks about times and seasons for all things. There's nothing there that says there's a time to quit. There are no times to quit in the kingdom of God. You ought to clap your hands to the Lord right there and just praise the Lord. We are people that continue to press forward and refuse to let things, our people, uh, our spirits, or our own self stop the vision that God places on the inside of our life and our heart. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures this morning that, that to me are very powerful. I'm reading, uh, first of all, from 2 Samuel chapter 5. There are a couple of things that I don't mind telling you. I have been spending hours and hours of study I can actually say that I've read this and studied it in my lifetime hundreds of hours, maybe even more than that, this uh, particular action of King David. You'll notice the scripture says 
in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and they, uh, I believe we'll put that on the screen, beginning in about, in about verse 5, the Bible says, uh, I'll begin in verse 4. In verse 4, And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, seven and a half years. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all of Israel and Judah, both of them combined. That's important to hear that. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. Everyone say Jebusites. Who were the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, watch this, except you take away the blind and the lame, you will not come in here, thinking that David cannot come in there. Nevertheless, Somebody say, nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Today we call that Jerusalem. The city of David. And David said on that day, verse 8, on the day that they took that city, David said, whoever gets up to the gutter and smites the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul." He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, or because they said, the blind and the lame uh, shall not come into the house. I'll explain that in a moment. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward. And David went on and grew great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. I think I'll just read the next verse to you. And Hiram, king of Tyre, those of you that... At one time, we're in the Masonic Lodge. Know exactly who that is. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees, and carpenters, and masons, and they built David a house. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Let me read another verse to you, please. In 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of David when he killed Goliath. And then I'll talk to you for a moment after I share this with you. And David uh, killed Goliath in verse 54. The Bible says, And David took the head of the Philistine, and he brought it to Jerusalem. Uh, but he put his armor in his tent. Uh, look this way if you would please. That's an extremely interesting statement that gets overlooked so many times in the Bible. Uh, David, at that particular time, is somewhere around 15 or 16 years old. Fifteen years later, he will become the king of Israel and Judah united. And the scripture says when he killed Goliath that day, rarely do you hear people talk about the fact that he took the head and took it to what today is called Jerusalem. At that particular time, it was called the stronghold of the Jebusites or the city of the Jebusites. For uh, between three and four hundred years, what is today Jerusalem had been uh, conquered again after Joshua and the children of Israel had gone in and taken that land it, that God had promised to them. It had been reclaimed by the Canaanites. And the Canaanites had taken that. There was an offshoot of them that were there, a branch of them. And they took that particular area back. They fortified it so strong that for now almost 400 years, that city has been under the dominion of the Jebusites. The Jebusites were a branch of the Canaanites. There's very little in the Bible about them. But they were a warring uh, group that had protected that. So as the children of Israel had claimed the promised land, there were some areas that were kind of strongholds that stayed in there that they were continually having to take out. I don't want to get too deep in the history of it, but one of them was the city of the Jebusites, also today known as the city of David. Also uh, today it's referred to as Zion and definitely continually referred to as Jerusalem. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. You've got to get this picture with me just for a moment because vision can take some time, but vision can come to pass. God can drop something in your heart even when you were young, and that will come to pass. I know this sounds a little bit um, 
self-serving to be able to say this particular uh, thing, but when I was a young man, I was a teenager. My father had a big laundry and dry cleaner. And uh, one of the things he did, not only did he pastor a church, a small church that we grew up in, in a little small town, but he also worked continually. And so there were seven of us children, five of us boys worked at that laundry and that dry cleaner often. And uh, the washeteria right next to it, we had a big washeteria that had about a hundred machines in it. And so people would come, uh, this was back in the 60s, and they would come and they would uh, wash their clothes or they would dry them and, and, and first one thing and another. And this was a pretty large facility. So I would mop it and clean it on a daily basis. Me and or my brothers would wipe down all the machines, give people change when they needed it, et cetera, and just be there. When we got out of school and got out of ball practice all summers long, and uh, the good thing is dad had five different boys and so he could rotate us through there. I would lock it up at night at 10 o'clock and drive to the house and, and things like that. Once again, in rotation with my brothers. Well, uh, one day I'm sitting in there, probably it was a Saturday. I'm sitting in the, uh, the washeteria and we had a television in there and I'm watching this TV. And I was probably at that time around 16 years old or something like that. And uh, we, we were right in the little town where we live and we had a pretty nice parking lot in front of it. And people would walk across the parking lot, go into the store and do things of that nature. And there were these two young, cute girls that walked across the front of that. And they were both high school twirlers. I was captain of the football team. And so I'm sitting there. Y'all want to hear this story now, don't you? And I'm sitting there in, uh, in the laundry and these two girls walk by. One of them kind of had dark hair and big uh, brown eyes. And the other one had red hair. They were best friends. And when they walked by, they didn't acknowledge me. They're just walking across the parking lot and I'm doing whatever a red-blooded American boy would do. I'm looking at the girls. <laughs> One of them's name was Cindy Jolly. And she's walking by and something happened on the inside of my heart that day. And I begin to, I, I barely even knew her. And I begin to like her. And I believe that day God dropped in my heart that one day I would marry her. Well, one day I married her. It was about six years later, but one day I married her. I believe God can begin vision for your life. Now, that doesn't have to happen to you. And please, just because you think a girl's good looking does not mean you're supposed to marry her. <laughs> but I have noticed that no guy ever marries a girl he doesn't think is really nice looking. Just uh, thought I'd throw that out there. And so I fell in love with her a couple of years later, and uh, I've never wanted to be with any other woman in my life except her. And so now this year, this month, we will have been married 43 years, our first 43. Let me just say to you, let me just say to you that God can put a, a dream or a desire in your heart that's for you personally, uh, but also it's going to be bigger than you. It's going to, that dream is going to be a lot bigger. David was about 15 or 16 years old. He is a shepherd boy. Uh, I believe I can prove from the scripture that he's disrespected by his family, by his father and by his brothers for sure, who were probably his half-brothers. He's very disrespected by them. He's obviously the most talented, skilled one of them all. Uh, yet, instead of being allowed to go and fight and be a warrior or even being uh, in the house like a normal son, He's out as a shepherd. His father, who obviously uh, was well-known in the area, Jesse, had him out working another way and didn't even want to introduce him to Samuel when Samuel came looking to anoint one of the sons of uh, Jesse to become the next king. And Jesse had to particularly call for him to come forth. But regardless of what he had gone through, it did not stop David from serving Jehovah God. He's out as a shepherd boy. He's the person who knew how to give himself to something. And I believe God had put a dream or a desire or a vision on the inside of him that he would serve God. He got a revelation of God at an early age and would write the beautiful Psalms that we have today. Many of them were written during that particular time when he was in his innocence and he's worshiping God and he's praising God. One time a bear and a lion came and tried to uh, steal or kill and destroy some of the sheep that he is watching. 
and he risked everything. When you read it, it appears he attacked them with his hands, with his bare hands, and he tore them apart. Now, don't ask me how he did it. I just know what's in the Bible. Uh, The scripture says he risked everything for a bunch of dumb sheep. Look at two people and say, I'm taking notes on that part right there. Come on. But something was on the inside of him. He had a dream and a desire. And I can see from the scriptures there, if you were in Bethlehem, you're very close. You're not very far at all. You're just a few miles from where Jerusalem would be, the city of the Jebusites. He would be out with those flocks. Maybe he's watching the sheep at night under uh, adverse conditions, probably uh, either hot or sometimes it could even be too cold. Definitely dangerous. Uh, Obviously, it's very dangerous uh, because of all of the uh, predators that would have been out there, the lions and much less the thieves that would be there. But something was inside of this young boy that even though he was not trained militarily, he was not an officer, he was not a warrior in that sense of the word, God must have dropped something in his spirit when he's out there maybe uh, during the day or the night and he's looking over at this place that for almost 400 years, the children of Israel have been told that belongs to them. It used to belong to you. Now it's been taken back. The Jebusites have it and they mock you and there's no way. And this culture, it had kind of gone through the culture of Israel that just leave the Jebusites alone because you can't take that place. But David knew that according to Abraham's covenant and according to what Joshua had done initially, he knew that that particular thing belonged to the God of Israel, that it did not belong uh, to the Jebusites who obviously were not that way, but they were occupying it. Well, uh, the Bible uh, begins to uh, unfold it just a little bit. I'm not so sure, and you'll have to humor me with uh, this thought for a moment, But I believe that it was during that time that he was a shepherd boy. When he would see that, I believe that God began to put something in his heart that one day, David, one day, you're going to be able to possess that uh, particular city that no one else for over three centuries has been able to uh, possess in Israel. It belongs to you. It's stolen inheritance. Someday you're going to get it back because God said it belonged to you. Can I just say that if God drops a dream, a vision, a ministry, a calling in your heart, it is without repentance. God has a plan, and sometimes it may not even be just for you. It may be the next one that's going to come behind you or the next one. But you should be doing your part, David, to help bring it forward. Joshua, do your part. Continue to do your part to bring it forward because one day there's going to come a time when even though the vision takes time, it will surely come to pass. You ought to take a break right there and give God the praise. Here David is, a young boy, a shepherd. The scripture says that the Jebusites would mock and they would intimidate and they would try to put down uh, the, the children of Israel. They would say, this is one city you'll never take. The Jebusites own this one. It's our stronghold. And even our blind, even our lame could defend this against you. And they did that, some historians say, mocking. They're mocking David, and they're mocking the Jews. Uh, One of the reasons, the leaders, some of the main leaders, of course, of the Jewish covenant were people that had physical disabilities. If you remember Isaac, the older Isaac got, Isaac went blind, and he could not see. And if you remember, he was deceived uh, uh, when uh, Jacob and, and his mother came in and And uh, instead of Esau getting the birthright because he was blind and they put a a goat skin around uh, his arm, around Jacob's arm. And so when when blind Isaac, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody say amen. amen. Follow with me now. And here he was blind and it looked like it reversed the covenant that should have been there because the birthright went to Jacob instead of going to Esau. And that was something that was a scandalous thing in that day. And now it had continued to go along. And if you remember the story of Jacob, Jacob was quite a rascal, but he was called by God. And he's out here doing his own thing in life. And finally, he makes a decision, I better get right with God. And one night he wrestled with an angel. Does anybody remember that? 
he wrestled with the angel and, and he would not let him go until he was blessed. And finally, that angel somehow uh, smote him on the hip. And the Bible says it's like his hip came out of joint and it, and, it, and it crippled him in his hip. And the rest of his life, he walked with a limp. He was lame. He walked with a limp. And so the Jebusites would, uh, would begin to mock and, and they would mock the, the true and living God, Jehovah God, and they would mock those who were the leaders, and they would say, well, the blind and the lame up here can even do that because your, your ancestry and, and your faith and all of that's built on something as shallow as these crippled people. Can I just say that hell can try to laugh you uh, out of the vision, but it'll never laugh you into it. But one thing is for sure, if you will by faith make that decision to put your hand to the plow, regardless of what anyone says or circumstances which are always evolving in life, you keep your focus on the vision that God has for you, it may take time, but it will surely come to pass if you will not back off. God loves vision. And the Bible says that, that David, now he gets called to go. And, and in, in 1 Samuel 17, there's an extremely interesting verse that gets overlooked so many times. 1 Samuel 17, verse 54. Uh, the scripture says that when David came, that he brought an offering. And David took the head uh, of the Philistine. This is 1 Samuel. Um, verse 54, he says, he brought an offering. It's called the head. He took Goliath's head. Put that back up there. He took Goliath's head. And the scripture says he brought that head to the city of the Jebusites, that place where not long before he would see it as a shepherd boy. He's out there and he's looking at that. He's probably heard plenty of times when the Jebusites who are holding that city, when they are mocking the things of God. What's important to understand about that, that city, right, that city where they had put a wall, right outside that wall is a place called Moriah. And in that particular city is also not only did Moses offer to God there, but also Abraham took his son Isaac there, and there he offered unto the Lord. Historians, and I believe this Bible historians, say that same place, uh, uh, the city of the Jebusites, which is Jerusalem, I believe, was where the Garden of Eden was. Many people believe that on that same hill right there that's also called Golgotha, is where also the tree of life was. Uh, I'm of the opinion, I actually believe that that's where the center of that garden was that went 1,500 square miles according to the landmarkers that are given in the book of Genesis where are the north, south, east, and west boundaries. The Bible talks about the headwaters of those four rivers being there. And so I still believe that today. If you do not believe that, that's fine. You have the right to be wrong. And... Uh, uh, and so there you have this place. So in this particular place, it's very sacred to the Jews because the father of faith, Abraham, had offered Isaac in that same area. That's where Moses had offered unto the Lord right there. That's where the tree of life was. And listen, according to historians, uh, Jewish historians, as well as the early church historians, that's where Adam was buried where Adam, especially his skull, uh, most uh, historians that study uh, uh, old church history know, and you can see all of this, of course, the Greek, or uh, Greek Orthodox Church is very good at capturing that uh, uh, early church history or old world history. Not only do they do that, and I've read in, in numerous uh, particular uh, historical records of this, but also... Uh, in Jerusalem itself, there is a place called uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And in it, uh, one of the places that are there is called uh, in the uh, Basilica or in the, the Room of Adam, basically. And that's uh, uh, the Sepulchre of Adam. They believe that that's where Adam was buried. The Jewish historians believed that uh, Melchizedek had a lot to do with that because Japheth, one of, one of the sons of Noah, had taken the bones of Adam before the flood and had secured them. And then Melchizedek was used by God to oversee that because he, listen, this is very important, stay with me. And according to church history, uh, there 
uh, uh, Adam was ultimately buried at that same site. It was a very powerful, precious thing. It's not just a political thing you hear about today. Jesus is coming back to that place. He started the whole thing here on earth at that place. Can I have a better amen? And hell has tried to sidetrack that ever since the Garden of Eden. It's something that pulls at the very heartstring and the soul of all of humanity, and they do not even know why it's an issue. And the Bible says that David that day, he's not a warrior. We have no idea that he knows even how to use a sword other than he says, I've never tried or proven any of Saul's armor. The scripture says that he goes out that day and, he, and, and Goliath, who is a type of Satan, Goliath is a type of the devil. The scripture says that David kills him and for some reason, instead of just knocking him down and killing him, he takes his sword, he takes Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off. And then the scripture says that he takes that head shortly thereafter, he shows it to Saul, and then apparently chronologically, he takes that and he goes those few miles over there and he takes that head and according to one historian, he put it on a pole and he stuck it in the ground outside the wall of where the Jebusites were, their hated enemy. And it's like he was making a token unto God and he's saying, what I have done right here, I know I'm just a boy, but hang on, one day I'm going to do the same thing to you because this belongs to Jehovah God. And God had put something in his heart when he was just a youngster. And when it was time, he stepped into that role, not as a boy, but he stepped into it as a man and a man of God. He begins to pursue that vision, not even knowing what's driving him. I still do not believe he fully understood the impact that would take place because it's on that hill, that same hill where Jesus was crucified. It's on that same hill that he's coming back again one day. I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. And something was driving him. Something's moving him that direction. It doesn't make sense in the natural Maybe when he would pray at night, he would still have an unsatisfaction inside of him. There was something that still wasn't fulfilled, wasn't completed. He's serving God, but there was more that he wanted from God. Am I talking to anybody in here at all? Have you ever known that not only is God good to you and he's given you a, a victory, but there's a lot more to that victory than just the victory itself? There's a lot more to those children than just your kids at, at homecoming or something. There's a, our family reunion. There's a lot more to that job. Can I just say there's a lot more to your tithe and offering. There's a lot more to that vision, that dream that's on the inside of you than just you. But he's being driven that way. And he doesn't fully understand it. And hell tried to sidetrack him. And David, it seems like, tried to help the devil. Later in life, more than one time, but thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his gift and calling. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says that day when David went out to fight Goliath, uh, the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, listen to this. And verse 18, the first thing David did before he went out to fight this is for someone today. I'm just telling you. He said, carry these 10 cheeses. His father told him, carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and take the pledge of your brother and see how they're doing. And the Bible says in verse 20, and David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse, his father had commanded him. The first thing that he did the day that he killed Goliath was he brought an offering. It's a type. There were 10 cheeses. Little did he know that that dream that as a young boy has been stirring in his heart against that city of the Jebusites, he had no idea that suddenly it was going to take place. Can I just say, when your time comes to obey God, have you positioned yourself to obey God when your time comes? David, instead of uh, doing what maybe other uh, boys had done, 
certainly what he could have claimed that his brother should have been doing and, and sharing with him if that were the case. Instead of becoming offended because other people felt like that he was only half, uh, maybe only uh, half Jewish in all probability, uh, his, his mother had been a Moabite uh, servant that Jesse had an affair with. History says that's what the Jewish people teach. Because you'll notice in the Bible that even though the other brothers, their mothers can be named, but David's mother was never named. And when Saul, every time, every time Saul asked about David, he didn't say, what's your name? He would, he just went beyond that and he would say, what is your father's name? He didn't want to get involved with his mother because of what history says and, and certainly what the Jewish historians teach had said. And so David, instead of getting offended because other people maybe had looked down on him, he somehow got a vision or a revelation that his relationship with God was not just uh, what everybody else was thinking. His relationship was also one-on-one between him and God. It's a very unique thing. That's why you see David in the Scripture. And it's interesting to me that when you hear in the New Testament, when people are uh, 800 years later, when you hear people talking about um, David, or when they talk about Jesus, one of the things they call him is son of David. Son of David. I think that's powerful. They don't call him son of Jesse later on. They call him, uh, they said of, uh, of, of Jesus, he's the son of David. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was a call. There was a a gifting from God. And David, with all of his mistakes and with all of the roadblocks and all of the obstructions that come in pursuing vision, he kept pursuing vision. Even though it takes time, God had dropped that in his spirit somehow when he was a young man. One day, I'm going to take the city of the Jebusites. But it wasn't just because he wanted that territory. God had a plan. And I just want to say to you that when you got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and God, you begin to recognize God has been uh, guarding your life and helping you through things that you probably should not have gotten out of. You might not even should have been here today because it was nothing but the mercy of God that you even survived. And suddenly you said yes to Jesus and then you turn around and look, if it had not been for the Lord, I would not have been here. God has a plan and a purpose in my life. And you're beginning to move toward that purpose. And it's not over yet. Little did Moses know what God was going to do on that same piece of ground. Little did Abraham know how God was going to use that thousands of years later. Here we are still today magnifying the true sacrifice who was sacrificed on that hill. Isaac was sacrificed in a type. When his father put him and he put his son there and there he had brought the the sticks, the wood, he had brought the cross in type. And there the scripture says, uh, when, when Abraham pulled back the knife, God provided the sacrifice and he accepted. Uh, just like when Jesus, when they pushed that spear in his side, uh, the, the antitype of that, and then the type took place. And so the scripture says that Abraham and Isaac were doing that. Isaac was just trusting God. He believed God would raise that boy up again, the Bible says. This was very, uh, uh, a very big, I'm going to call it a 6,000-year vision that God began to give uh, to Adam. And then it began to continue down, and the devil kept trying to abort the vision and cause them to miss it. But he continued to press. He continued to press. And finally, on this uh, outside of this sacred place, The scripture says, he kills the giant, which is a type of the devil, and he brings his head and he buries it there. I just think it's interesting that now you fast forward 800 years and in Mark chapter 15, and I think it's verse 22, in Mark chapter 15, the scripture says that Jesus then was buried at a place called, I mean, was crucified at a place called Golgotha, the hill of Golgotha. And then he defines it in the Hebraic, he calls it the place of a skull. And there 
Adam had been buried. And there, Goliath had been buried. Adam was the fountainhead of humanity. Goliath was a type of Satan. And I just don't have time to talk about how, how that is the type, but just please take my word for it. He is a type of the fall and of the curse. That's why God recorded it like he did for us. That's why he inspired David to take his head there and to plant his head there. 800 years later, the sacrifice came, carrying the wood on his shoulders. I'm preaching better than you're amen in right now. And that vision that God had been to redeem mankind, that had been working out over the centuries and the millennium, all of a sudden, here, it comes to that moment. And because David had done his part, the Bible says, uh, and he had taken the city of the Jebusites. It's an interesting place. And because of time this morning, I can't give the whole detail, but uh, what we do know is this. When, when David became the king, not only of Judah, but also of the rest of Israel, he reunited the tribes for the first time in many decades. He reunites the tribes. Saul has died. David was ruling in a city called Hebron, but something was in his spirit. That was his stronghold. Hebron, but something was in his spirit. I'm not supposed to rule from Hebron. I'm supposed to be where the Jebusites are. I'm supposed to be at God's city. And the scripture says that day, the elders all came together from all the tribes and they said, David, you will be the king of all of us again. And he reunited it. The next verse it appears like, David said, everybody get on your horses, all the soldiers. We got enough work going after it. And the scripture says he goes toward uh, the city of Jebu, which was where the Jebusites were, the stronghold of the Jebusites. And he took that city and renamed it the city of David. Why don't you take a break and give God praise right there, huh? What's important about it, when he got there, it was impenetrable. They mocked him and said, our blind and lame can defend this city. And history says that they had all type of caricatures that, they would, that the Jebusites would use to mock and make fun of, uh, 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 of the Israelis and had done that for centuries. They'd hang them off of the wall and mock the blind and the lame like that. And, and, it, and, it, and it was something that was in uh, Israel, and they were very, very, it was almost ingrained in the culture after hundreds of years. Just leave that alone. You can't do it. It's a stronghold. Great leaders, great warriors had come up. Leave it alone. Leave that one alone. Leave that one alone. Those guys are bad motor scooters. Leave that one alone. But God put something in the heart of that man when he was a boy that one day, come on, somebody shout, one day. One day things are going to change. Shout it again. One day. I don't know what's going good for you today, and I don't know what's being distractive and trying to get you off of that good that God has for you. But I can just say, if you will follow the Lord one day, things change. I like to say it like this, payday doesn't come every day in God, but payday always comes. The scripture says that, the scripture says that David got there that day and he's looking around He's got this massive army finally with him. Until that time, he had a thousand men. Now he has thousands. And he must have told them something like, I don't care what any of our forefathers have said. We're going to take that city somehow. He probably said, I don't even know how I'm going to take it yet. But I have heard that there is a water fountain. There is a, 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 a gutter. And it's there today. It's called, it goes to a place called the Virgin's Springs or the Virgin Mount. And, uh, and you can go and see it today. Uh, so about 50 years ago, it was discovered and it's still there today. And you can actually, uh, I wouldn't, I'm not quite big enough. I mean, I'm too, a little bit too large to get in it. It's a, it, it starts at about 20 inches high. And then from there, it opens up and, and it had been chiseled out of the rock and it goes up into the city. And, and the scripture says, David had found out about that. Uh, the, the Jewish historians say that probably Arana was, uh, Josephus says he was a friend of David's and a friend of Joab's. And probably Arana, who was a Jebusite, 
And David, uh, not long after this, buys the threshing floor from him. Hallelujah. And he brings the Ark of the Covenant there. And uh, apparently, Arana, who was a Jebusite, it's very possible that he told them, you know, outside the wall of a city, there's a port over there, there's a drain. And everybody else thinks it's just a stream that drains out. But if you go up that, you'll suddenly break into like a, a, a cave, a trail that's under the city. And it's about this high. You can see pictures of it today. And about this wide, it gets about that wide. And it's been chiseled out of the stone as a, as a gutter. And, and if, you, if somebody could get up there, they could pop up and, uh, up in the city and they could actually invade it from underground. That kind of reminds me of what Jesus did for you and me. I'm preaching real good right now. The Bible says that Joab, instead of one of the, instead of one of the young warriors, Joab said, I'll do it. I like people that are like, I'll do it. What is it you need? Pastor, what can I do? What can I, how can I help? I'll do it. No, it wasn't one of the young guys. It was Joab. And Joab was a warrior. The scripture says, I'll go up that water. And David said, whoever gets up there first will be my chief and my captain. I've just been named king of all of Israel. I need a chief and a captain. And here's the test. Open up the gate of the Jebusite city. It belongs to us. And if you, whoever does that first, that's going to be my chief and captain. And the Bible says Joab probably just threw off all of his helmet and everything and just dove in. And he finds that spout. And all of a sudden he breaks forth into the gutter. Anybody know what a gutter looks like? There, there's no way you can have a clean gutter. And it's dark. You're underground. You're in a cave. You got water and, and stuff coming at you. And it's slimy. And you got to climb up that hill underground in a rock tunnel with water coming down on you. That didn't happen in 15 minutes. And he's doing whatever it takes. He's probably having to hold his breath against the stink. Do y'all know what gutters smell like? You ever had to clean out a gutter? You ever had to clean out a sewer? I know when Pastor Cindy does that, it's amazing. When she gets down there and starts... I'm going to tell you a quick story. This is a true story. Right in the middle of camp meeting one time years ago, after the service, I brought some of the guest ministers over to the house and, and we were going to eat there at the house. And, and, and when we uh, had fixed that, there was probably about 20 or 30 people there. And when we had fixed all of the, the food, our uh, sewer stopped up, just backed up. And I, I, I'm not sure somebody had thrown a bunch of stuff down it. And here, by this time, it's 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And I call this particular plumber who is still today, this day, almost 30 years later, the plumber of the church, or now the, the man retired, his son now is, that we still do business with. And so the scripture says that, I mean, I'm out there at the house, excuse me, and this guy comes and he's, and he's finding out where that stop is, where, the, where it is. And so it goes out to the street. Uh, this is when we lived uh, over here in Lamarck, uh, before we live where we live now. And it comes out to the street, and he can't get, he, he says, I know it's stopped up somewhere because it's not stopped up on this side. It's stopped up on that side back toward the city, uh, toward the street. I said, look, can you do anything? To, he said, I'm going to have to break that. It's a ceramic pipe. I'm going to have to break that pipe. To do that, i got to dig down. I'm going to dig a big hole in your front yard. If I do that, I said, dig it. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland don't care. And so they get their shovel out. This man and his son, uh, who was probably about 16 or 18 years old at that time, and they dig this big hole. And there it is. And it's, it's, about, it's, you know, it's about two foot or so deep, maybe three foot deep, whatever it is, down there. And they're leaning down there with a, with a little ball-peen hammer trying to break that so they can get a, a plunger of some kind or some, uh, you know, a snake in there to clean it out. And he's tapping that thing. He's tapping it. And he, can't, and he can't get it to break, this ceramic pipe, uh, that the sewer, the gutter there. And so the boy says to his daddy, 
Uh, Daddy, move. Let me do that. And he gets him a bigger hammer. Now, this boy is big. He's a big boy. It's hot. There's mosquitoes. He's wearing a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. And believe me, he's exposing everything in the back laying there. He's laying there. If I'd have had a camera, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken it. But you get the picture. He's laying there, and he whacks that thing one time, and nothing happens. He whacks that thing one time, and nothing happens. And then he says, blankety-blank, wham! And he hits that thing and breaks it, and it's under pressure. And it just goes, Psh! I went, oh, my goodness. And we, we tried to pull him up and all that stuff, and, 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 and his daddy handed him a rag, and he went, you just got to love it. <laughs> One of the greatest statements I've ever heard. I can see Joab going up that gutter and he's thinking, when I get up here to the top, the process may not seem too pleasant, but by the time I get there, it's going to be worth it. And there's something in him. He's like, I love it. I love David. I love the kingdom. I love what we're doing right now. My warrior spirit is, is running out of 10, and I'm not going to let anything stop me. And history says that when he got up there and he threw that gate open unexpectedly and the Jews, the Israeli army ran in, not one Israeli soldier was slain. And they took that city back. And today he renamed it to the city of David and it's called Jerusalem and Jesus will rule and reign from there one day. He had no idea that to bring that vision to pass, he took a token, he took that head that day just on that impulse. It's so, it's so abstract and absurd what he did in the natural. Little did he know that when he buried that skull there, he was burying it at the same place where Adam had been buried and where the second man Adam, the Bible calls him, not the second Jesus, the second Adam. The Bible says they're Jesus. Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise the heel, but the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent at that time. That's a powerful understanding. Two things are going on. Jesus is crucified. Is it possible? Some, some preachers preach this. I see it powerfully in type for sure. That when that cross fell down on that hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull, Golgotha is a derivative of the word Goliath. When it, when it fell down and crushed the head of Satan... At the same time, the Bible says there was an eruption in the earth and the, the, the rocks, the Bible says, cracked open. Oh, I wish somebody would get this. And I believe the blood came down. And is it possible that that blood came down and touched the skull of Adam, the original man, and the blood redeemed us from the very beginning right on up till today? Ephesians chapter 4, it's been a mystery for years in Ephesians 4, where the Bible says that he that ascended is, uh, is also the one who first descended. And there, listen, he led captivity captive. Is it possible that when the blood touched Adam, who was held in that captivity, in that bosom of Abraham, in that place where the redeemed, where, where those who had died believing a Messiah would come one day when they were there, but they were still not where they were supposed to be in heaven. Are you listening to me? And when the blood came down and it fell through those cracks, it didn't just crush the head of Goliath. I believe it redeemed us and God led captivity captive that day. There's more to your vision than just you. It's not just about you. 
It's about your sons. It's about your daughters. It's about those who will come uh, after us. It's about bringing the gospel of the kingdom and, and, and bringing that into this generation and taking it further than you are right now. It's never, ever just about you. David thought, man, here's a shortcut. Saul had said, look, you kill that giant. I'll give you a big house. Marry my daughter. Set your father's house free. You'll have all the money you ever want. Have a big piece of property. A fourth of my kingdom is going to belong to you. David never asked him about it. David never asked him about it. He didn't consider that the high reason. When he took that head and he planted it there, outside the city of Jebu, Jerusalem today, somehow he knew he was fulfilling something that was a lot bigger than just a house and just money and just a new car and just a new job. Thank God for those things. Those are rewards you get on earth. But when you're fulfilling the vision, you're laying up rewards for eternity. Come on, somebody shout to the Lord right now. Come help me, singers. The scripture says that day in 1 Samuel 17, verse 18, David brought a token offering that day before he ever went out to battle. And at the end of that day, it appears, he took that head. And the first thing he did, the scripture says, is he took it to that city. And he was saying, it hadn't happened yet, but one day it's going to happen. That city's going to belong to God again. It's God's plan. It's God's vision. Let me say this to you this morning. It's a very, I feel a very unique anointing on me for this right now. There's some of you in here, you have struggled with vision. You have struggled with vision. And hell has beat you down. It will never, ever, never come to pass. David and God recorded it something as, as seemingly insignificant as bringing the ten cheeses and offering them in order. And then bringing the head of a giant and just writing that one verse until you go and research it out to realize what was taking place. He was setting up a plan for something bigger than David could have ever imagined. Along the way, David was blessed immensely. He made mistakes, but he had activated a vision. And a vision comes to pass. And a vision comes to pass. Anyone in here got some vision in your life? Anyone have a vision in your life? Maybe you've been pressing for it. You have a dream. Maybe it's your invention. Maybe it's your idea. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's those kids. Maybe it's that business. I don't know what it is. What's that dream? The thing that you wake up thinking about sometimes. And you're hoping to bring that to pass. And you've seen the movement of God in it in bits and pieces, but you've never seen it come to pass yet. I don't know when it's going to come to pass, but if you'll keep, listen, David, if you'll keep doing what's right, one day it's going to come to pass. It will happen. Saul should have been the one that did that. Saul should have been the one. And he aborted his own vision and David rose up I hear the Holy Ghost talking about vision in people today it's more than just you it's something bigger than you I don't believe vision can be done by just one person it's going to take a lot more than that it's going to affect more than just you it will impact you. And if it's the vision from God in your life, you're going to be blessed. You're never too old, Moses. You're never too old, Abraham. And you're never too young, David, to fulfill the call of God. That purpose for why you were created. It may extend way beyond you one day. But what's your part in that plan of God? David understood something that most Christians mock in this generation right now. He understood when he brought that token, he brought that offering, something happened in him. And he never went back 
From that time on, he began to prepare himself completely different. Can I just say to you this morning, when you bring an offering, you bring a token, and you do that in obedience to God, you're, you're fueling vision in your life. I don't know how many times in my life that Cindy and I write offerings that have nothing to do with us at that moment. If I go into another man's church and I may be the guest speaker and I know they're going to bless me. When they, when they take an offering, I'm one of the first people to put in that offering. Not because I'm putting on a show, but because I love to give into vision. Somehow or another, it does something for me. And when it affects me, it affects my family. Now, when it affects me, it affects this great church. When it affects me, it affects the outreach that we have and the impact that we have on one another. And it helps bring to pass and fuel along. This is Walter Hallam, and I want to thank you for listening today and just receiving that good word of God that you've gotten off of this podcast. You know, bringing a podcast to you, it's free to you, but it costs to take the gospel of Jesus to the world. You can be a partner. You can help support. Uh, Men and women I found are so generous when the word of God is coming into their life. They want to help take that gospel to someone else. You can text to give today to 832-981-1601. And you can give any support, any amount, and it will be a great blessing. And it will help take the gospel of Jesus uh, to someone else. We'll go the next day and the next day. So text to give today, 832-981-1601. And I want to thank you in advance because without you and with others who support, it would be so difficult for us to get the good news of Jesus Christ into this great generation. Do your part today. Thanks for helping. I love you. I can't wait to see you on the next podcast.